Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Just because you have a site in a strong housing market doesn't mean you have a great site. Making sure you have those fundamental market characteristics are important to having a long-term viable project. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal Best Ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our Best Ever partner, Secure Pay One, the Landlord Helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes the free service. Here comes the free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Pete DeSalvo. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? I am doing well and nice to have you on the show. And well, I've known Pete for what, about four years or so, four or five years. And I initially came across Pete through a mutual friend and he helped me 
Pete did on market research on a project that I did not end up purchasing, but I learned a whole lot about his business and his insightful mind because Pete has over 20 years of experience doing market research and consulting on a thousand plus projects across basically all the states, 46 states. He's the founder of DeSalvo Development Advisors, which is a real estate consultant firm, and he is based in Columbus, Ohio. With that being said, Pete, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. Thank you. I'm a former senior market analyst with the Dampner Company, which is a national real estate group. Worked there for 14 years and worked with nearly every tax credit syndicator in the country. In 2010, I left and started my own practice. Among our services, we help clients like yourself and other investors and developers assess the market value of properties, especially acquisitions during an option period. Most of the work that we do involves mixed-use redevelopment, but it's typically led by multifamily development. So multifamily is still a core of the services that we offer. Mm-hmm. Today, I wanted to discuss a little bit about how do you assess if your property that you're looking to acquire, your value-added property, has the marketable characteristics to have long-term viability? Today, in most of the markets across the country that we go to, every apartment market's strong. So how do you know if your particular property is going to be able to do well when the market's not humming on all cylinders? Just because you have a property in a strong housing market doesn't mean that the property can sustain a high occupancy and rent for a long term. So strong housing markets, they can mask weaknesses or vulnerabilities in inferior properties. So when the market isn't at its highest level, those inferior properties are the ones that have the hiccups, where you start having occupancy problems and rent problems. To those better ever listeners that fell in love with a quote-unquote value-added property in a strong local rental housing market, you have to ask yourself some key questions and more importantly, answer those for your investors. Mm-hmm. Do you have a marketable property that has long-term viability based on three market-related items. One is location, two is product, and three is market position. So I'm gonna go into a little bit about each of those three items and what things to look out for. So when you're looking at a property, aside from financially, does it pencil out today? What are some of the things you wanna look for as red flags or positives for your property? On the location side, a lot of apartments Ideally, you have an apartment that has a visibility to a lot of traffic. There's a lot of drive-by traffic that sees your apartment. If you're not one of those that are getting 10 to 15,000 cars a day in front of you, that may mean you're going to have to spend more dollars marketing for people to find your property. Where do you get that data? The Esri, the demographer, has a lot of that traffic count data. And if it's a state-operated state route or a highway, you can get that from the Department of Transportation for each state. Really? I didn't know that. You can also touch base with your city, and oftentimes municipalities will have traffic counts throughout their city. So during my experiences, and I've heard from other groups, like management will say, yeah, we're having problems in a market that doesn't have them, and we have to run out every day and place temporary signs on a major road and take it down before the end of the day. But that's not the ideal situation. So that's one possibly red flag. Am I hidden? 
is this a situation where I want to be in? To the same extent, good, ingress, egress, how easy to get in and out of your property. That can play into it too. If it's a right out only, but you know that all the traffic goes left to go to work in the morning, that may be an issue. The one that I enjoy seeing examples every day is what is located next to your apartment? Not only is it aesthetically pleasing, is it complimentary? I recently saw an apartment development that was built near a strip club. Now, it was a nondescript strip club, but once the apartment opened and there was an entrance road next to the two, the strip club would park their billboard sign next to the entrance. <laughs> it was a family project where you had this enormous billboard of the next um, ladies that would be dancing there that night. Um, and not as extreme an example, but in one of the markets, I saw a developer build the same exact product. One of them was next to a mini storage facility, which was in decent shape, but not really contributing to the apartments. And they were getting less rents than another apartment that had better uses. Those are the kind of things to keep in mind. Examples are a little extreme. I, I missed that point. What was wrong with building next to a mini storage facility? Well, you have to ask yourself when you're looking at these properties, do you want to live next to a mini storage facility? Is it truly a complimentary use to an apartment? It's not entirely adverse, but if you're stacked up in a competitive environment, less people are going to want to choose to live next to a mini storage than other residential or retail or something like that. So it's just understanding where you fit against your competition. Are you next to the most complimentary uses or is it kind of a mismatch of uses? Okay. We all know schools are important, but I would say more so renters are having less kids. But I would say if you're looking at a property that has a really heavy mix of three bedrooms, that's when you really need to look into the schools. And if the schools aren't particularly good, what are the private schools like? Sometimes that's enough to negate that issue. And everyone hears the talk of the millennial. Hey, we need to get the millennial. And it is an enormous generation coming through. And how do we attract them? Well, three of the things as they relate to location, are they close to jobs? Millennials don't commute as much as dummies like me did when I was a kid. <laughs> and some of that is, can you get to a highway quickly? Do you have quick access? And then the third is how close are retail opportunities? The more proximate you are to that, as long as it's not a strip club, the better type of site you have. So those are some of those locational issues. For the schools, what resource do you use to determine if it's a good school district or not? That's a good question. So every state pretty much has report cards on how their schools are doing. You could look at that, but I've found that the best way to find out is simply to go talk to people and say, hey, I'm relocating into the area, looking for an apartment. Where would you suggest? And if they suggest another area, you say, what about this area? And see if schools pop up. Just asking is somebody coming into the area, you can get a good flavor. If there's really a problem with the schools, there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction. Well, you probably don't want to be there because of the schools. So just talking as a newcomer to the area, to several people, that oftentimes will be enough to identify if there's an issue or not. Okay. The next item that's often overlooked is product. And when I'm talking about product, there are opportunities with this, but looking out for that functional obsolescence. If it's something that can be remedied, there's a big potential for rent increases. I'll give you some examples. If not, it's a big red flag. 
that if the market has those hiccups, as I call them, you may be the first to experience problems. So I'll give you a list of some of those. And galley kitchens, for example. Galley kitchens are tiny kitchens for those, I'll try to do my best to explain them, that are contained in a very tight, small area and really aren't open to other rooms. They're probably what you see a lot in New York City. Joe, would that be fair yeah, I'm sure my apartment in the East Village when I lived there, it was just like a sink and a stove, and that was basically it. So I don't even know if that's a galley. I wish I had a galley kitchen, I think. <laughs> yeah, it may sound nice, but a galley kitchen is essentially a closet with your appliances in it. Uh, okay. Um, right. That you see in a lot of the older product. And I've seen some really good examples where those can be opened up. You know, everybody wants an open floor plan now and having a kitchen open so when you're entertaining that they're open to the kitchen. But I've also seen plans where the galley, the construction of the unit, especially in high-rises, is almost like a bunker, and to open it up isn't financially feasible. So it's one of those things you need to keep an eye out for. Galley kitchens aren't the most marketable kitchen type, so keeping an eye out for that and, and can it be convertible. On that same theme, that compartmentalized floor plan, the one where there's a hallway everywhere and your unit feels like a lot of doors and hallways. Renters don't lease spaces based on rent per square foot. As much as we talk about rent per square foot, it's all about perception. So a smaller efficient floor plan in many ways is going to outdo larger floor plans in the market that have tons of hallways and doors. So to the extent that your floor plan is has the ability to be open or is open, that's a good thing. If it's not an efficient floor plan, that's a red flag. Just for my own clarification, the more open it is, the better it is, and the more compartmentalized, so doors and walls, the less desirable. Is that correct? That's correct, and it doesn't function as well because if you think about hallways and doors, all of that space has no function or no use aside from passing through it. So aside from maybe putting a little table for a key stand or something, there's very little that you could do with that space if it's open. Not only does it allow you to do more things, the perception is it's a bigger unit than it actually is, as opposed to an apartment where you come in and it's tunnel vision. You think you may leave thinking this is small, even though it may be larger. Okay. I'm always a big person on dimensions of bedroom sizes and closet space. The master bedroom, if you're getting less than 10 feet, unless it's very common in your market, that's something you need to keep an eye out for. If it's less than 10 feet, it really limits what a renter could put in there in terms of bed size and a lot of things. And then lack of closet space. Some of the older, older properties have just enough to hang up a little bit of clothes. And those types of things can create some higher turnover. Once they get in and say, well, I don't have enough places to put my clothes and other storage stuff, you're going to have higher turnover in your property. Yep. Maybe even difficult yep. to rent. Just a couple other ones, the subgrade units, those apartments that are partially underground in a basement. Those are Terrible. when markets start. Yeah, those are ones that you need to keep an eye out for, and that's a big red flag. Those are tough, no matter how you look at it. Even in good times, they can be difficult to rent. I know why I said terrible. Why did you say terrible? <laughs> well, again, thinking from a renter's standpoint, you're looking for an apartment. Do you want to live in a basement? There's also a perception of security issue as well as people walk by and they can look into your unit from that ground mm -hmm. level. What is your 
floods, water coming in because it's below ground. Okay. That's important from a developer standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of obsolete unit types, three bedroom, one bath units certainly aren't the ideal type of unit that you want to be getting unless you can possibly add a bath. I mean, as long as there aren't a lot of them, you're okay. The two-bedroom townhouse with one bath on the top floor is also a very obsolete design, and I've seen that converted an awful lot where you're putting a half bath under the stairway. Mm-hmm. changes the marketability entirely, increases rent. So that's a situation of one really doesn't work, two, now we've got something that's marketable and we make more rent. The last item I wanted to discuss was that market position. So understanding where your property is and its potential to increase rents is really a key to that whole value-added property acquisition model. Everybody employs the comp strategy, and I'm not going to go into that because I know that it's been talked about in other podcasts and people understand that. Finding a comparable property and saying, here's what we can do compared to that. Yep. I'd like to take it a step further and employ a strategy where I establish a ceiling by looking at properties that are a high quality that, hey, I know we can't attain this rent, so I have an understanding of where can I expand into. So what's good about that is, let's say you have a class B property and you want to improve it, whether it's adding amenities, improving exterior. If the rent is already close to class A rents, you may not be able to push the rent that much higher for the improvements that you want to make. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if, if your rents were well below that and you could add those, there's an opportunity to potentially bump up your rents without encroaching on those class A rental properties. I like that example a lot for value added because class A properties, which typically are new properties, don't have a lot of flexibility in terms of what they can do with their rent. They really need to get those high rents compared to your value added that has a lot more cushion. Where if the market was going south a little bit, you could come down a little bit and it would still pencil out. The other thing I wanted to mention was regarding markets that don't have class A apartments and have a lot of older inventory. Markets like Cleveland, Ohio. They don't have class A? a They do now. Okay. For a long time, a lot of national developers, regional developers wouldn't even think of, even investors wouldn't touch or think of Cleveland because they were concerned about the growth really wasn't there and the rents weren't very high and there wasn't those quote-unquote comps, those higher comps. And then somebody finally realized in that market, we've got a lot of high incomes and there's tons of pent-up demand for good product. So as soon as somebody built that, it was like the floodgates were open, and now we're seeing property after property open. But understanding that in some of those older markets, don't be too scared to get involved if you're not seeing rents that aren't as high as you may want. It may just be a product of what's out there, and if you give them something good, you can really push the rents in that marketplace. That complete number three? It sure does. (laughs) Awesome. Well. Location, product, and market position. I've asked questions along the way, so I'm going to ask you a high-level question. Based on your experience, what is your best advice ever for multifamily real estate investors? It relates to the whole topic is 
understanding that just because you have a site in a strong housing market doesn't mean you have a great site. Making sure you have those fundamental market characteristics are important to having a long-term viable project, especially depending on the exit strategy. Five years out is a long time in terms of market. A lot of investors want to hold on to it for much longer than that, and you need to look past today. So making sure you're not vulnerable to future fluctuations is important. Mm -hmm. I noticed that you were talking about the particular property and the location next to it, the product, and the market positioning in terms of what is your ceiling. What I didn't hear you talk about, and I know it's a factor, so that's why I want to bring it up, and I know you take this into account, would be jobs and the diversification of employment. Can you talk a little bit about what you look for? Sure. In fact, I'll say jobs are a key for apartment development. And a lot of the clients I'm looking for when we're looking for sites, that's one of the key issues because, again, millennials want to be close to jobs. If you have the jobs, there are opportunities for that housing. If you don't have jobs nearby your area and you're asking people to drive a longer way, What's you're, longer? you're a little more vulnerable. It depends on the market. Obviously, if you're in Los Angeles compared to Ohio to Columbus, it's a lot different. But if you understand is your market area or trade area, and you see that it'll take you a lot longer, if everybody else can get to employment quicker than you can, that's the issue. It's all relative to each market. So I can't give you a time. The more accessible and the quicker you can get to it, the better. Okay. And if you start to have more unemployment in an area, that's where you want to have that flexibility with rent that if you're starting to lose jobs, it's going to impact your market. It just depends on how deep, how many jobs you're losing. If it's a major employer, everybody's going to feel it. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day -day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at beforethemillions.com. That's beforethemillions.com. Pete, what's your best ever book you've read? Well, I don't have one best. I'm a big fan of Michael Lewis, so I would say to any best ever listeners that have not read his books, maybe try Liar's Poker. Best ever project you've worked on? I had a chance to work on a lakefront development for the Cleveland Browns, the former ownership, and that was fine. What'd they hire you for? I worked with an international sports group, and they were looking at all of the housing and retail opportunities around the stadium. 
what's a mistake you've made on a transaction or just in business in general that you can think of? Probably the mistake that I had the most is letting others talk you out of a position. When you know in your gut it's one way and you've done your homework, whether it's a former boss or a partner that doesn't agree with you, but you've got to argue enough to get your point across. Keeping an open mind, but sticking to that opinion unless somebody has a compelling reason for you to move, that's a mistake. I made those mistakes and that's something that I've learned just to, to keep that open mind. Best ever way you like to give back? I like to do some pro bono work with some of the nonprofits, consulting work, and also helping out some startup companies. Pete, who's your ideal client, and how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Our ideal client are municipalities, developers, CDCs, and investors. And you can either get in touch with us through our website, ddadvise.com. Actually, my phone number is on there as well. So ddadvise.com is the best way to get a hold of us. Excellent. And best ever listeners, there is a link in the show notes page with that URL. Pete, I am clapping silently right now because I so much enjoyed learning from you during this conversation. And this is one of the reasons why I do the podcast. We're able to get a college class in 28 minutes or something, however long we've been talking. And it's free for the best ever listeners and myself. And I suspect you're going to get some business out of it as well. But if not, you've given a lot of value to the world. That's for sure. The question is, how do we know if our multifamily property is positioned well in the long term? And the answer is we've got to look at location, product, and market position. And looking within each of those, you mentioned some surprising things that I hadn't thought of. One of them is going to and from the apartment. Do most of the people turn left? And is that left a tough left turn to make? Because that could have an influence on your turnover being high. On the product, again, the master bedroom being 10 feet or more. That's something I'm going to pay particular attention to from here on out. As well as the open floor plan, which I kind of already knew, but it wasn't a conscious thing for me. And then the marketing position and lots of other insights in between. So I recommend the best ever listeners. If you need some notes from this, then go to bestevershow.com. And we've got a transcription of this episode and the previous episode. So you can go read this conversation as well. If you weren't able to take notes like I'm taking notes right now. So thanks for being on the show, Pete. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at beforethemillions.com. That's beforethemillions.com.